0: I'm Skylar Grant, and welcome to Commune, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that bring us together and help us live healthy, purpose-filled lives. You may have already heard that I've curated a new course that launches this month called Empowered Birth, and to that end, we've been digging into the culture of birth in the U.S. on the podcast, and it's inspired all kinds of questions, some of which I hope I can answer on the podcast today. Yesterday... Actually, a student came up to me after class, and she said, "I've been listening to your podcast about birth, and I have a really basic question. What's wrong with just scheduling a C-section?" Seems like in some ways, like that would just be a whole lot easier, right? And it it made me realize that I've been making a really broad assumption about the general understanding of the benefits of a low intervention birth and a vaginal delivery. So, I want to dig into that a little bit before we get started with my interview. First of all, I just need to say that, of course, we all need to count ourselves incredibly lucky that we live in a time when interventions and surgery are available when we need them. But why should we opt for the most uncomplicated natural birth possible? What's so great about all the huffing and the puffing and the pain and the pushing anyway? Following are a number of benefits of a vaginal birth for both you and your baby. First of all, beneficial bacteria. We live in a time when gut health is a super hot topic. Your baby's microbiome begins to form in the womb, but it is supercharged as it passes through your birth canal where it ingests bacteria that contributes to its lifelong gut health. Some studies have found that babies that are born by C-section are more susceptible to health problems such as food allergies, asthma, hay fever, and obesity later in life. Vaginal delivery is an essential part of your baby's developing immune system. Your baby's lungs. While your baby's in the womb, its lungs are filled with fluid. Hormonal changes that occur during labor and the squeezing of your baby as it passes through your birth canal expel much of that fluid. And the rest of it is coughed out after birth or it's absorbed by your baby's body. Babies that are born by a C section are at a higher risk for breathing problems associated with fluid remaining in the lungs for too long. Your recovery postpartum. If you have your baby at a hospital, you should expect to stay there for a day or two after an uncomplicated vaginal delivery and two to four days after a cesarean. After any birth, You're going to want to take it slow before you return to any kind of rigorous activity. But after a vaginal birth, you should be able to perform regular daily tasks within a couple of days. But C-sections are major abdominal surgery, and recovery is longer and more difficult. Add caring for your newborn into the mix, and it is a lot to ask of any woman. Most C-sections will not lead to further complications, but all major surgeries carry risks. These include anything from a bad reaction to the anesthesia, to infection, even hemorrhaging and blood clots. C-sections also present some additional risks like inflammation to the uterus, injury to the bowel and the bladder. And, you know, then you have to consider effects on your future health. Women who've had C-sections have an increased risk of complications in subsequent pregnancies, including miscarriage, even stillbirth, problems with the placenta and the uterus, fertility issues. Finally, breastfeeding. Current research indicates that ease of breastfeeding, as well as the overall duration of breastfeeding, is increased with vaginal deliveries. So there you have it. Those are significant benefits for both you and your baby. Now, regarding interventions, some interventions can be just what a laboring woman needs to help labor to progress. For example, during a protracted labor, a well-timed epidural, which is the most common pain blocker, can give a woman a well-needed chance to rest. And pitocin, which is a synthetic version of oxytocin, which speeds up labor, might be just what you need to help a stalled labor progress. But one intervention often leads to a cascade of further interventions, which is more likely to lead to an unnecessary C-section. And remember, there are myriad ways to help labor progress without medical intervention, which is a big focus of the Empowered Birth course. So I hope I've made the benefits of a low-intervention vaginal delivery abundantly clear. I do want to reiterate that a medically necessary C-section outweighs all of these benefits. What we're talking about here is preventing unnecessary surgeries, nearly one-third of babies in the U.S. are now being born via C-section, more than twice the rate recommended by the World Health Organization. And despite the fact that we have a healthcare system that far outspends the rest of the world, American mothers and babies fare worse than many other industrialized nations. Why? Well, there are no doubt many causes, but one likely contributor may well be that medical expediency Often takes priority over the best outcomes and evidence based treatments. Over the past few decades, the US healthcare system has largely become a labor and delivery machine, often operating according to its own timetable rather than the unpredictable schedule of a laboring mother. Over the last few decades, the US healthcare system has largely become a labor and delivery machine, often operating according to its own timetable rather than the unpredictable schedule of a laboring mother. Technological interventions are a way of attempting to keep things running smoothly. And as I've said, these can be life-saving in some situations, but they can also interfere with the natural physiological processes of labor and delivery, and increase risk when used inappropriately. Our C-section rate is a great example of this. As the incidences of cesareans in this country has increased over the past several decades, we have not seen fewer deaths among newborns, and studies indicate that there's been an increase in maternal mortality. You know, the student who asked me about scheduling a C-section is an educated, mindful woman. She just doesn't happen to know much about the current state of our birth culture. That's why I've developed the Empowered Birth Course for Commune. Not because I believe in birthing in any particular way, but because I want women to have the tools to navigate their pregnancy, their childbirth, and early parenthood from the basis of information and from security in their ability to be an active participant throughout the entire process. We're offering this course completely free from August 12th to September 1st. Just head on over to onecommune.com slash birth to sign up. Now, with no further ado, I'm going to sit down with Dr. Suzanne Gilbert-Lenz. Dr. Suzanne is an OBGYN who's board-certified in integrated medicine and Ayurveda. She's assisted thousands of women in giving birth, and she feels super passionate about sexual health, pregnancy delivery, and postpartum. You can find more about her at TheDrSuzanne.com or on social at Ask Dr. Suzanne. And once again, if you want to hear more from Dr. Suzanne and many other amazing experts in our new commune course, Empowered Birth, go to onecommune.com slash birth to sign up. That's one-o-n-e commune.com slash birth. Hopefully, she's going to give us the insider view of hospital births and maybe some good tips on how to hack your hospital delivery. Here's Suzanne. Hi. Suzanne, it's so great to have you across the table from me. And my legs are not up in the air. After and sweating together. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just did yoga together. That is so this podcast. It is really. I know, it's <laughs> it's kind of gross. it's, we went, but it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's very apropos. Yeah. Well, so full disclosure... Dr. Suzanne is my OB, um, but she's not, you are not my midwife because I was in New York then and I had home births, and you're not a home birth midwife. You're an OB. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have so much respect for you, and I know so many women in LA who sing your praises high and low, and it is such a huge honor to have you a part of our panel of experts for this course because you lend such a depth of wisdom and compassion and um, balance to all the other people we have on the platform. So thank you. Thank you. The honor is mine. So last week on on the podcast, I was talking to Elizabeth, uh, home birth and birthing center midwife. And one of the things that was is is interesting to me about the um, a lot of what she talks about, which I hadn't even framed in my mind, going into this course which was the the very basic distinction of a low risk versus a high risk pregnancy. Yeah. And just starting from that place, yourself and your support team. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that from the obstetric viewpoint. Well, I mean there are sort of criteria and then I think there's
1: probably I probably shouldn't say this as an MD but there's probably a little bit of wiggle room. I mean generally a low risk pregnancy would be a person who's not having any medical issues coming into the pregnancy and I mean any chronic medical conditions, autoimmune problems, certainly, you know, high blood pressure, cardiac problems, diabetes, you know, these this might seem obvious but maybe it's not obvious to everybody because mm-hmm. I think if that's your normal you might not realize that once you get pregnant that's you're going to be at, at risk. You're, that's not a home birth candidate. Right. Age probably is cr- considered a criteria in some communities. So advanced maternal age, shockingly for a lot of us, is considered under 35 years old. Ah. I'm not saying that people over 35 can't home birth, but I'm just saying that there is some additional risk there. And certainly as you approach 40, there definitely is additional risk. We see even in spontaneous conception, so people are not go- you know, doing assisted reproduction, IVF, that kind of thing. Um, and there are plenty of them out there who get pregnant after 40, you know, there is an additional risk of high blood pressure and complications at the end of the pregnancy. The problem is you could be a super healthy 42-year-old who does yoga and no issues, and at 37 weeks, your blood pressure goes up, or at 39 weeks, your placenta is pooping out and the fluid's low. So, So there's the sort of coming into the pregnancy, low risk, and then there's as the pregnancy proceeds. And there are a number of tests that we do throughout the pregnancy that you would do with a home birth midwife or a doctor in a Mm -hmm. facility where you're going to have a a hospital birth that would sort of route you, you know, there's an algorithm. Um, I mean, there are a lot of other things that people might take into consideration, but those are sort of the basics.
0: So I'm a good example. I... um... Well, my I was pregnant first when I was thirty four, and last when I was forty. Mm-hmm. And but I had elevated blood pressure in all three of them yeah. consistently, yeah. and it just seemed to be what my body did. Now, if in I the was, medical
1: model, we wouldn't consider that to be to be something that we would sit on. It doesn't necessarily mean that, and and not. by sit on you mean it's not something that you would take lightly no not at all and Mm -hmm. it might be only observation by the way it may be that we're having you do blood pressures when you're at home relaxed a little more frequently and reporting on them or you're coming in a little more frequently so we can check on the fetal well-being because people who've got high blood pressure and i don't know how blood how high your blood pressure was um definitely have you know risk for stillbirth and um things like uh, placental abruption these are like Not super common, but they're catastrophic. And the problem is they're not real predictable. That's the problem. And this is where the conundrum of the, quote, medical hospital model versus outside of the hospital birth model, I think this is where the greatest conflict comes in is – the attitudes about that and the fear around that, both from the the clinicians, from the doctors, there are lots of midwives that only practice in hospitals, um, play, from patients, from the community, from family members, there's fear of intervention and fear of I'm going to have my empowerment uh, taken away yeah, breached yeah and and, there, and, yeah. and that things will start to happen because of the interventions which is not an unfounded fear and there's fear on the side of the quote system which by the way is not really a system um that something bad is going to happen and we could have done something i it's it's rough because it's two different
0: paradigms of thought i suppose though i, I would say from my own experience and every every midwife is going to be different. Every pregnant mother is going to be different. Yeah. Every doctor. So my midwives, and I had three different ones, yeah. um, they all approached it with concern. As yeah. Something like, oh, we need to watch this. Right. And you should be doing this and that. And they, we did take my blood pressure m- much more regularly. Right. I was taking it myself, exactly like right. you said. So it was was a very similar approach. Yeah. It just happened to be at home visits as opposed to a hospital visit. Well, my and guess I is that it didn't it, progress to it a didn't. point
1: where you needed blood work to make sure you
0: didn't have preeclampsia. Exactly, and that you was You know, the because had
1: it, I mean, I think any responsible home birth midwife isn't going to be like, yeah, let me just do this at Yeah, we will we'll go to see wing what it. happens. Right. I mean, that's crazy and dangerous. 100%. There are people that are crazy and dangerous out there. There are pa- people crazy and dangerous in the hospital, too. 100%. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are, there's people there's that are radical crazy.
0: people <laughs> on all sides <laughs> right. of the Totally, yeah, and I think for me, what my hope is that every woman who who is on the journey of empowering themselves now, whether it's through this course or through their own. Autodidactic reading through the process that they are able to get a sense of what the smart and middle path is and whether your instinct works for them too. Exactly. And where your instinct is fulfilled but also elaborated upon by your care team. And whether it to a certain extent. Where the where is so much less important than the how, and everybody in this conversation is interested in good outcomes. Correct. Even even the even the doctor who wants to schedule C sections because it fits into their ideas. Oh yeah. yeah
1: well, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into what other people's motivations are. I can really only speak for myself. I will tell you that the other thing that I think is is an important. Um, an important difference, an important point to make is that in, in allopathic medicine and conventional Western-based medicine, we are data-driven, data-driven. So we have guidelines that are based on published studies, large, large studies, not 150 people did this and we watched. Uh-uh. There's all sorts of, I mean, there's science proceeds in a very specific way. So, you know, we we make our decisions and we get our recommendations from our governing bodies based on these long-term and most often the the best kind of data you can get is something that's a placebo-controlled prospective double-blind study, okay? So what that is is we're taking two groups of women, in this case pregnant women. It's harder to do this in in pregnancy, but there was actually – I'll bring up a really interesting controversial study that was published last year. You probably know what I'm talking about. Um, Anyways, so we take two groups of women who are pregnant, let's say – And we randomly assign them to different groups, make sure that these groups are relatively similar so that there's a comparison, and then going forward, watch and see what happens when we do X, Y, Z, what is the outcome? Okay, so that is the gold standard. You can't blind it when you're pregnant because you know that you're getting induced or not, let's say. Okay, but the gold standard is double blind, meaning the, Mm. the person, the scientist or the doctor and the participant have no idea what arm of the study there and right. that's not ever going to happen so let me give you an example and this was you know real interesting so very large study multi-center all over the united states a very diverse population fairly reflective of the u.s population demographics racially age blah blah, blah. they looked at women who had never had a baby before and they randomly assigned them obviously with their consent to be induced at 39 weeks a week before due date or not and what did they find because what's with a lot of the fear around induction of labor is higher C-section mm-hmm. rates. Guess what? In this study, and it was like almost 10,000 women, it was a big study, it, their C-section rates were lower. They were in the hospital longer. They were in the hospital, right? Because if you're coming at 39 weeks and your cervix is long and closed, and you're not ready, like you're mm-hmm. going to be there for three days. So they ha- they were in the hospital longer but they had lower rates of C-section. Oh, my interesting. God. So now, does that mean everybody at 39 weeks should be induced? No, and that was not what the study authors or what the community said. But it was like, hmm, interesting. So we have to check some of our biases out there. And this is a very important piece of information. This rocked my world, right? Because I grew up in the era of induction, increases, you know, starts right. the cascade of intervention. Right? Is this going to apply to everybody? Of course not. Of course not. And do you think that was because... uh, This is data.
0: (laughs) So what is, or not necessarily your, but what is the expert um, reading of that data? Is it because babies were smaller? Well,
1: okay. So then the C-section thing is also really interesting. And I think it really depends on, again, what what the the person, the pregnant person is bringing to the table. Because I think a lot of it is about, not a lot of it, all of it is about having as much information as possible. Both sides, right? Me and them and coming to the table with, with trust and love and compassion. Trust is the single most important thing. It's the only thing. 100%. If you do not trust yourself and your team, and you do not trust your doctor or your, I mean, wh- that's the root of the problem. Those things. Yeah. So you come to the table and you work it out. You talk about what's going to be best. I have patients that are traum- traumatized, that have had sexual trauma, that have had sexual pain for years, that they finally got through. They do not want to use... The- they don't want to have vaginal birth. And you know what? I get it. Fine. I get yeah. it. That And that's so funny because for the longest time, that was really my focus. Like, Let me create a space that is safe, trusting, um, and, you know... It, consent based They're I'm super serious about making sure they understand the options they understand the potential consequences of the actions and the decisions that they are making that I'm making that some of them can't be you know predicted but i for most of my career was really that was what i was thinking about like this person wants this and i don't know if that's going to happen i'm going to do what i can they understand that i'm going to do what i can and that whatever happens happens it's been a real challenge to me because i have look i just did yoga with you okay uh, you know i'm not saying everybody who does yoga feels this way but i'm going to i have ayurvedic background i make herbs in my house <laughs> you know like right. I, it's like I, you know i like look a certain way but i kind of i flow and i'm my bent is definitely more on the holistic or integrative tip. So it's it's been really interesting to me and a challenge to me and my ego and getting out of my own way when I have some when I have people coming in saying, look, I'm forty two. I never thought I'd have a baby. I'm doing it and this is how I want to do it. And okay, so here are the issues for you potentially and let's make a decision. Right. Yeah, that And you have to be their support team for that. For sure. Do yeah. I agree or not agree? It's not about that. Right. I mean I'm in a this is off topic, but really I want you to understand, I want the listeners to understand like how intense this is for us too. I'm not trying Hmm. to make your birth about me, but understand this is what we do. We hold space, we take responsibility and accountability for people's body, okay, and their health. I'm in a private group on a social media platform with other female OBGYNs, and there is a thread that I was glued to this morning about, hey, have you guys had an experience where you've informed the the patient, you know, there's there's a major emergency going on, and they deny consent for an emergency C-section, and they understand that the baby or them may die, and they that's what they want. And I was... Floored at how many of us have been in that position and held space for a family that decided it's mostly cultural that a cesarean was an absolute impossibility and the fetal death, this baby's death was preferred. And they did that and they watched and waited. I'm getting the chills. And I was like, whoa, these women really are my sisters. You know, these women were like, th- these doctors were saying, this killed me to do it. They understood, 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 understood. It is documented because we're all about documentation, and I don't want to get too detailed because it's going to be super triggering for people. I, I couldn't believe it because I mm. haven't. I have, have you account- been in that? Never. No. I've never encountered that. I've had people give me a hard
0: time. Uh huh. But. I'm in Beverly Hills. People are right. like, no, actually, in the end, save me. <laughs> right, right. And don't you feel like because of the, all the conversations that happened before, there's an established basis of trust where there you have an understanding. Yeah, you know each other. You know each other. And you yeah, know yeah. that if you say, yeah. sister, yeah. we're going – into yeah. the get a quick operation right now and they'll be like yeah, yeah okay yes please yeah
1: well i'm very i'm very fortunate in that regard because i do have a long history in the community a lot of my patients are not new to me they've been with me for a long right. time they know each other but i've had situations where you know i'm stepping in for a partner on call and i don't have a relationship with the person and, and i've had to make difficult decisions with that that family and generally it goes well sometimes it's rough because mm-hmm. be, and it's because of the lack
0: of trust right And I get it. What I would love to know is your thoughts on, say, we do move towards something more like a universal health care option or whatever that might look like, does that then also open up the the playing field for funding for more freestanding birth centers, the coverage of low-risk home births. I hope so, because but it's I don't cheaper. know. cheaper. Yeah,
1: and in other countries they do that very effectively. Right.
0: I think one of the problems that we have
1: here is that we have such a mess with maternal mortality, and if you look at, especially in communities of color, like we have a lot of other issues that, would like Sweden is, you know, it's not 100% white, It's, but it's a lot more homogenous of a population. So Sweden, we get a lot of obstetric data from them because they're just like so organized, and they have, you know, nationalized health care, and they've always done it that way. They collect everything, and they publish a lot. But, you know, this country is super heterogeneous in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, so many characteristics. Um And we have, you know, we know those of us, we know that we have baked in, you know, racial bias, racist, this country's built on racism. Sorry. Right. Um, and it's literally built by in our healthcare system. <laughs> okay. So, you know, like there's, and, and even those of us who feel like we I don't do that like we you know there's there's bias that's internalized that we're not super aware of I think the fact that we're having a conversation and we really are having a conversation about this in medicine people need to know um, that is happening we're looking at how we treat each other how we treat our patients and why is that affecting you know our outcomes well i mean that's funny to me too because from my like more holistic perspective of Of course the energy that we're directing at ourselves is going to be projected in how we deal with people but whatever fine we're figuring this out right
0: so that that's going to make things a little more complicated so how do we take our sense of the wider range of options and then apply that to the model of hospital care and so how do you even if you are going into a rotation of five doctors you don't know who you're going to get what I'd like is from your perspective as a doctor who's in a hospital and sees a variety of different hospitals, how do you, basically, how do you hack your hospital birth?
1: Yeah. So this is really important. I mean, you know, part of it is doing your homework well in advance, okay? Really investigating your community, like where, what are the options for you to birth really preferably before you're pregnant. Like, get the lay of the land down Mm -hmm. so that you know, because there might be options that you didn't know about. Maybe there's a hospital in the next town over that has a much, you know, friendlier labor and delivery. I don't know. You know, there are a lot of places in this country where you can't, it's a small community hospital. There's not enough coverage. Um, you know, and so you can't do a high risk birth there, or you can't have a vaginal birth after cesarean. So just sort of know your community, that would be sort of the baseline stuff. So if you're going to meet somebody, a doctor that you've never seen before, and that's going to be the person delivering your baby, having someone that you have trust and respect for that you know, has, you know, has your back Mm -hmm. um, is going to be very helpful. Very, very, very Mm -hmm. helpful. I think that's probably the single most helpful thing. And somebody who's not your, primary partner. Yeah. I think that's too much pressure. They're going through their own experience. It's, it's very stressful for them often. People don't know how they're (laughs) going to feel. You know, the other thing that I wanted to to bring up and it is related to all of this is that we know that when people are anxious and scared, there, there are changes in your on your hormonal status and your neurotransmitters and your immune system. So that really has a big effect on the choices that people will make about their birth. Okay. So like people who are like, hell no, I don't want anybody touching me. I want to do this in the woods alone or hell no, do not put any intervention, you know, like whatever, or "I, I don't want to have anything coming out of my vagina. Like you already have like anxiety and fear there. So I think if you address those things as early as possible, and sometimes you can't you know, know what's going to happen until someone's in labor, you're going to have a better, that's also going to create a better outcome. People's pain threshold is completely altered. Their labor is altered. You know, your body, if your body's in fight or flight, the primal brain is like, ah, not a time to have a baby. Obviously we're being chased by a saber tooth. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like not going to drop a baby out. It's going to kill your labor. So again, this isn't to like stress people out. Like, you know, don't get stressed, but the more support you have, again, the more trust, I can't say this enough, the more trust you have in your team or in your support people, just the more you can be the laboring person. I tell my patients exactly kind of what you said. If you care about XYZ, you're probably not in labor. The thing is you're going to – the gift that you get is you're altered. When you're really in labor, you are so altered. Yeah, you're super high. You're totally in a different yeah. space. Yeah, And what is important to you is completely different than what you think it's going to be, which is awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, let me – I'd like to back up a little bit Um, to – in the interest of of doing your homework, yeah. so you know, yes, okay. So ideally, even before you got pregnant, you've done a bunch of your prep homework. And then one of my one of one of the small sections of this course that I, I really love is on day seven. I think you um, and and uh, Elizabeth Bachner give your separate bu- big list of questions to ask your potential right. midwife right. and your potential OB GYN. Right. You know, in case someone doesn't get to that, like what comes to mind for you is is the really salient questions say three of them when you're sitting down with a potential OB to get a read on yeah. whether they're your girl or your guy
1: yeah well i think some of it's going to be um do the little like you got to do the gut check so i don't know that that's not a question but mm-hmm. if you're feeling and, it with you need the to person, smell their armpit you mean right <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, no. No, you know, know, I mean,
1: so that, and that's really hard to determine and that may sound really weird, but like, you know who you think you can vibe with and who you can trust. So that's not a question, but I, that's, because I feel, I get that with my patients all the time too. I'm like, how's this going to be? Like, I'm pretty good at reading what's, what's going to go down with that person.
0: Right. Um, It's
1: a relationship. It's a relationship. Oh my God. It's so intimate. Yeah. Swipe Um, left or
0: swipe right. Totally.
1: Oh my gosh. Totally. So. That's number one. Number two, I think, is understanding. Like I said, doing your homework in, in advance. Like where, what is the environment in which this person does their births? Okay, and you know details about it. That like I don't want you to get too crazy if you're five weeks pregnant, but you do want to know. Like, do do they do they. Are they going to be there? Is is their partner going to be there? Do they have midwives? Because there are a lot of practices where there are midwives who do the, you know, do the low risk pregnancies. Um, is it a teaching hospital? How high is the volume? Like, what's the environment? And then, like, you're not going to ask them fifty thousand questions, but at least find out from them where do they deliver. Basically, what it's like, and go do your research. Make sure this does this place have the things that you think you want or need. You may not think you need a level three NICU, um, but You know, maybe you do. Maybe that makes you feel more safe, okay? Maybe you want a small, cozy labor and delivery that only has five labor and delivery rooms, and basically you're being managed by the nurses. Maybe you want a teaching hospital that has 25, you know, rooms and every single kind of possible academic resource available, you know. So just kind of get that. Where do they birth?
0: And does that also mean, like, I assume, but I've never actually toured a hospital Delivery. I'll take you <laughs> <laughs> Come with me Actually, seriously I would yeah. love to yeah. So does that also mean like just asking the logistical questions of like what does my room look like what can I do to my room do I have a private bathroom do I not, yeah. I mean, it's all of is it just also yeah, that like, it's hard
1: I'm going to be honest with you. if you ask all of these questions at your first visit your doctor's going to be really annoyed because they have a lot of things that they need to get through with you that's like about your pregnancy not that this isn't important but this is where a hospital tour could be really important and you know some people I usually tell people wait till later in the pregnancy because people coming to me it's like a known quantity they know I'm at Cedars they know Cedars they, blah, blah, blah. but if you're like a really coming in blind you might want to go arrange a hospital tour like immediately where you can actually see it right yeah exactly because a lot of stuff you know in a smaller community hospital It could be super chill. It could be like old school nurses that are like, you know, still living in 1970 and they are in charge and they are the boss. And like that may not, you know, that may make you feel super safe. It also may really not be your cup of tea. Right.
0: Um, So maybe it's better to go look at the Mm -hmm. hospitals Mm -hmm. first and then Mm -hmm. from there find Mm -hmm. the doctor Mm -hmm. that go then interview the doctors at those hospitals to see
1: I think if you do not have a really established wonderful relationship with your OBGYN yeah I would I would look at where the op- options are for you to birth that's a great idea and then find out who Who has privileges there? Right. Um, So I think that would be probably the most important thing. I know that like the 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 question to ask for a really long time was like, what's your C-section rate? Which also going to annoy your doctor Um, because if you don't know that much, you don't know their practice, and you don't know how many high-risk patients they have, twins, uh, 55-year-olds with donor egg IVF. I mean, that's not that's going to change your C-section rate. I usually think people should ask like how often do you do induce patients not here's the thing i think that that tells you a lot about that doctor you know like you know they may i don't know what my induction rate is i couldn't quote it but i but it'll it'll stimulate a conversation right. like oh interesting this is these are the reasons why i do it i kind of tend to not do it for this reason i do it for that reason i think you're going to learn a lot about their practice patterns mm. and and it's it's not i think when you come in with like c section rate like we all know what that means and that's already whether or not you mean it this way, it's, it's a going to feel... a trigger for the doctor. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because we're under the gun, by the way, by our institutions and by our hospitals. We Our C-section rates at Cedars are published and sent out every couple months, and you can see everybody's C-section rate. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, part of the problem with the C-section rate is understanding the culture that... Not just the culture of medicine, which... Unfortunately, frequently, yes, it's data-driven, but it's also fear-based. So it's like not getting in trouble, not doing the wrong thing. And it's and, and this is a saying. This is a saying. Nobody ever gets sued for doing a C-section too early, but you will get sued for a bad strip, a bad fetal heart rate monitoring strip. Okay. So if you guys want to understand why the C-section rate is high, I mean, that's a lot of it. It's driven by, uh, by fear. It's driven by the fact that um, – we want the best outcomes and so do you but then you know there's it's a very litigious society that we live in i pay the second highest rates of malpractice insurance of any of the of, of the specialties neurosurgeons have the highest obstetricians have the next so not trying to make you feel bad just understand so the fact that we're only at 30 percent is pretty good in other cultures there's a lot of body fear like brazil has like a 85 percent or 90 percent rate of c-section it's nuts um so it's it's other things too um but that's a that's a big driver the other driver is and i mentioned it when i said made you know the reference to that that kind of uh little homily that we have i don't know what the word is the little saying that we have in medicine. you know, fetal heart rate monitoring is kind of a mess. It's not, it's actually questionable whether or not it is helpful. And it definitely drives C section rates because now we have to be responding to what looks, quote, bad. Right. When I can't, how many times have we all delivered a baby anyway with a strip that looked a certain way and the baby comes out and it's fine? Right, or the baby, the strip looks great, and the baby comes out, and it's not fine. Right, I mean, it's it, yeah. They're... My baby
0: was under my first daughter was under a tremendous amount of stress. Mm-hmm. when we were monitoring it right not with a you, you know, I was it was a untethered one, but right. But there she was under tremendous stress, and she did have complications, but she was fine. Right, and right. It, it it could was yeah. definitely a situation where under different circumstances with a different like a different mother, right, and a a different caregiver. Yeah. I may well have ended up in a C-section, but everybody yeah. stay calm. Yeah. It was like calm yeah. under... Yeah.
1: yeah. It's just kind of like the, the whole fear of like the cord around the neck thing, like somebody was telling... Me. I mean, it's really interesting when people come to me who I haven't delivered and they're like giving me their birth history. It's just so interesting to hear the story that they have hurt, been telling or, themselves yeah. yeah and i'm like that's not even a thing you know i don't say it i'm like okay because you're what doesn't she was traumatized by that right but like a cord, are, are you kidding me have a rap cord. You, or yeah. not yeah it doesn't mean death yeah do i have unfortunately if i had horrible situations and that was there yeah was that the reason we'll never know right. so so that's the big there's such a huge question mark and then we put this like culture of like well everything has to have an explanation and a reason so that's going to drive you toward more technology which so, is not necessarily better for anybody if you have if you know you're going into this and you're thinking you really want to do this as intervention free as possible i mean just be upfront about that if you for instance um if you've heard about seeding the vagina uh, seeding the the nasal cavity right so in a c section we're not supposed to do that. Some institutions do it routinely. Some institutions, you can't do it. You know, some people will, like if my patients ask me and they're like, look, if I have a C-section or let's say they're planning a primary C-section, you can swab the vagina. I will do it if they're GBS negative, they don't have some specific bacteria or they don't have an infection. Swab the vagina sterilely, right? Put it on a little, some little sterile Q-tips and then I'm like, this is for you. I'm not doing this. Here it is. It's in a glove. You wow. can put it in the baby's nose. Nose.
0: Yeah, I've he- I've heard about that, and you could ask that, and just even your doctor's like knowledge of it, right. would tell you. Oh something. yeah. Again, there's ways yeah. to do
1: this. Like, I'm sorry to make it sound like you have to be on the down low, but you might right you might have to be on the down low and then you might find out like your doctor is the coolest hippie you ever you've ever met and you didn't know <laughs> or like whoa this person who presents is like super open-minded is like very rigid right and then you have to decide you know is that going to work for you
0: right gut hmm yeah cool Wow, <laughs> I like, I, there's so many things I want to ask you. We could we could go on forever. <laughs> all right, my darling. Well, I know you you are going to send your daughter off to college this weekend. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's a an, yeah. that's another kind of delivery out a different canal. So crazy. I into burst into
1: tears at dinner last night. Just like I had didn't even feel it coming, and then all of a sudden I just started crying.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's part of it.
1: Her Shh. birth was effing amazing.
0: You have to tell that one. Oh, we, yeah. we haven't gotten you on the birth stories. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you both my birth stories. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll see you I mean, very whatever. soon. To me. <laughs> <laughs> to me. Yeah. All right, my love. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Holy moly. How much do you wish Dr. Suzanne was your OB or your backup doc if you were having a home birth? She's lucky that I didn't have my home birth here because I would have corralled her into being there too. (laughs) You can plumb the depth of her knowledge even further by joining me for the Empowered Birth course on onecommune.com. For the launch of this course, we are offering the program free from August 12th to September 1st. So don't miss out, even if you're not sure when or even if you want to get pregnant. You can be like the crazy expert in your group of friends. Dr. Suzanne is joined by 10 other pre- and postnatal experts I regard most highly, including midwife Elizabeth Bochner from last week's podcast, Nina Plank, Laura Cohen-Thompson, Erica Chitty-Cohen, Shafia Monroe, Britta Bushnell, Kimberly Snyder, Kimberly Durbin, the list goes on. I guide you through all the expert content day by day, and I lead a 20 to 30 minute physical practice that will support you through your pregnancy and into postpartum. These are super diverse classes that take inspiration from yoga and physical therapy. They range from rigorous to deeply restorative, focusing on strengthening and opening all parts of your body with a special emphasis on core and pelvic floor work. All the experts in this course share my two abiding philosophies about childbirth. One, The best place for a woman to have her baby is a place she is most comfortable. And two, an empowered birth is not a state of knowing. It is a state of inquiry. Please join the journey into empowered birth at onecommune.com slash birth. That's one O-N-E, commune.com slash birth. Thanks for joining me on the Commune podcast. You're going to get Jeff back next week. He won't be talking about childbirth. This is his better half, Skylar, wishing you an empowered life.